I recently did an interview with Chrissy Sadowski, who is Regional Fund and Volunteer Coordinator for Autism Ontario in South Region. She's also the parent of a child with nonverbal autism spectrum disorder. And while I was doing some research for the interview, I read about autism service dogs. Allison Savard is Director of Client Services for Autism Dog Services. She's on the show today to talk about how these specially trained dogs help kids and families. Hi, Allison. You are Director of Client Services for Autism Dog Services of Canada, and you've been working in, with autism dogs for many, many, many years. But can you tell me about um, autism dog services? And then we're going to get into a little bit more about how an autism dog works. Yeah, really. for sure. So Autism Dog Services is a registered Canadian charity. Uh, we were founded in 2007. I've personally worked for the organization for 11 years um, as in very many different roles. So as director of client services, but I also did some of our advanced training and I also work closely with our families. And currently I also assist with our volunteer program. So I help um, instruct our volunteers how to socialize, raise and provide basic training to our puppies who are hopefully on their journey to become a service dog and be paired with a child that's on our waiting list. So it's interesting because I think a lot of people, you know, we've seen stories about you know the amazing dogs who can recognize seizures. I and mean, that was a, a number of years ago, probably 10 years ago, I saw my first story about that um, and, and dogs who can recognize other physical problems. But most often we hear about or we will see originally the original first uh, working dog people saw were for people with um, eyesight impairment. And then I've met a lot of people who have therapy dogs, which are they, some therapy dogs visit, something like a hospital or a long-term care program. And some therapy dogs are now used for um, mental illness, people living with mental illness. I met a man at the grocery store the other day and he had an anxiety dog. But autism dogs, I had never heard of autism dogs until I did an interview with someone whose child was on the autism spectrum. And um, I became, you know, curious, like, how, how does an autism dog connect with a, a, a child who isn't connecting with the world very well? Sure. So it really varies, but um, we fall under the umbrella of what would be an assistance dog. So an assistance dog encompasses a lot of different types of dogs that assist people with disabilities. Um, and we fall under the umbrella of service dogs. So there's service dog, hearing dog, for example, there's seizure dogs, guide dogs for the blind, diabetic alert dogs, they would all fall under that, that same umbrella. Um, and the important thing to note about an autism service dog is that they're certified to be a working dog and have the legal right to assist the person who they're working for in a public space. And they're also trained with three assistive tasks. So the first task is a stop task where the dog is trained to stop on command and anchor a child. And then it allows the parents to redirect the child back to the dog, hold the handle and cross the road safely. So some kids are a flight risk. Some kids also are overwhelmed by their environment and may not pay attention or wander off onto the street 
or become overwhelmed. And this really can help ground the child, keep the family together. Um, it's a command that the dogs, once they hear it, they stop and they don't move until given the release command to go forward again. The other task is an over, which is a deep pressure task where the dog lays its body across a child's lap to provide deep, deep pressure. And then the other one is a visit, which is also a deep pressure task where the dog would rest its head across a child's lap. And this can help with transitions. It can help kids cope in really difficult environments, busy crowds. Um, even if the family like tries to go out and enjoy a night out at a restaurant, the dog's there to help support the child in that type of a setting as well. Um, and I think those are the, the three tasks that um, even teams that don't require the safety piece find very valuable, right? Even if it's about teaching the safety to cross the street safely, um, you know, getting in and out of the car, from the car to the shopping mall, having that safety piece is so critical for, for most of our families. That's so the, they wouldn't, yeah. yeah, the fellow, the fellow I met in the grocery store, that's exactly what he had done. Um, he was living with post-traumatic stress disorder. And um, I recently interviewed um, a retired firefighter who was doing equine therapy for post-traumatic stress disorder. But, but he, um, he was local and he had, um, he had uh, purchased a dog and then gone through that training and the dog was allowed to go in the grocery store though he was certified to do that uh, so um it's interesting that I'm, I'm kind of trying to wrap my mind around this so first of all i guess does a child have to be somewhere on the spectrum to qualify for um an autism dog a, a service dog you know what we provide our service dogs to any child um that requires the dog so for example requiring the dog may mean that they really need the dog to attend to them while they're in a public space so because our dogs are certified and permitted to go into public we're also accredited by um, an international organization called assistance dogs international which is a great resource to find out about all the different types of assistance dogs across the world. So they're our governing body and they're able to um, monitor how we approve clients, how we deliver our program, um, you know, the welfare of the dogs are taken into consideration, the training and everything um, on the business side of our organization too is evaluated by them. But that's a really good question. The dogs that do assist children, they could be anywhere on the spectrum. So we have kids that would um, be nonverbal, and then we have some kids that are quite verbal, higher functioning children that also access our services. It varies a little bit. In, um, so we may have a child um, who um, is younger and bolts and requires the dog to, the parents require the dog to provide that safety component where they aren't able to go out even step outside of their door without their child fleeing from them. And that's such a risk, right? Of them getting hit by a car yeah. or getting injured or them not being able to find them. So when they do go outside, they're um, connected to that dog by a belt system. 
And that allows the parent time to redirect the child back to holding the handle in the service dog's jacket. It's also important to note that our dogs um, are required to wear that equipment when they're in public and accessing those spaces. But it also is really important because that jacket has a handle and it allows the child the ability to learn how to hold onto that handle and walk the dog and give the child some sense of independence. Um, we've just recently did a placement, it's really touching. Um, of course, COVID has affected this family a lot too, but they hadn't been able to access any public spaces for over two, well over two years. Um, and even be it before that, they weren't able to go into public as a family. So their family unity has increased just dramatically from having the dog um, come into their home. They've only had him, I think, six weeks now, and they are able to go out and do things they've never done before as a family because they were always afraid of losing him and that he would run off. So now he's connected to the dog by a belt. He's verbally given instructions by the parent. The parent is always the main handler, unless it's an older child and we're able to transition that child um, into handling the dog themselves. Um, but it really depends on the ability of the child. So we have evaluate that as well, but the parents um, give all of the instructions to the dog. So for example, forward or stop if the dog needs to stop and the parent needs to have some time to redirect the child back to the dog to walk. Or if they need to hang out and, and chill for a little bit and do some of those deep pressure tasks, they're able to do that in public too. Um, but even something simple like going from home to school and walking. I know we had also had a client who, whose child um, was actually hit by a car um, before they got their service dog. So mom stopped walking to school and it was like literally two blocks down the street. And ever since they got their dog, they're able to walk safely to and from school because he's connected to the dog right, and it allows right. mom this security, right? So, um, so the, the, the child is connected to the dog, um, but the parent would actually have to know that the, that they were going out, right, for the child yes. to be connected. Otherwise, you would, could be in a situation where the door opens and the child runs. Would the dog then go after the child at that particular time and try to put it into a safe situation? I don't, I don't know how a dog right. could do that. But would the dog be then, say, triggered to say, I got to go? A lot of families approach us with that same question, right? Their hopes are if my child leaves in the middle of the night or does unlock that top lock on the door, like a lot of parents have a lot of locks and a lot of safety measures already in place, but sometimes kids are really resourceful and figure those out and do leave. Um, our dogs are not trained to track you know, they may be in a dead sleep on their dog bed and they're not going to alert to something like that. Um, the only training we provide are those specific tasks training um, that I talked about. And then the parents also are very heavily involved in, in, in that training with the dog and the supervision around the dog too. That's really important too, right? So um, at the end of the day, it's still an animal. So um, we need to make sure that the dog's needs are met and that it's cared for and that there's a lot of supervision involved. So it's really not for everyone. Um, and it really depends on the needs. And we help evaluate that um, when we approve our clients and add them to our wait list. Um, some families decide that it's not really something they they're looking for. They may need more of a companion dog, which we also provide as well. And those would be well-trained dogs that don't meet our criteria to be service dogs, but could benefit someone 
you know, in the house as a pet. So that's an adoption program where our other service dog program is not, that's a full. That's more like the, yeah, that's more like the anxiety dog. Uh, Yeah, it would be more of an assistance at home and they would adopt the dog and pay like an adoption fee to us. Whereas our service dog program is completely, um, you know, free and families sometimes fundraise to help support us, but it's a completely different program. But sometimes people don't require the dog to attend their child out in public and be with them. There's so many other additional benefits too of having a service dog. Um, The family unity piece is huge. So, you know, having the family be able to go out and access places together is big. Um, It can help modify behavior. It can help enhance communication. So even the presence of a dog can draw people to, um, you know, someone with autism who may not normally, you know, extend that communication to somebody that is walking down the mall or at the amusement park or out at the, at the community park. And sometimes that helps spark conversation and can help encourage pro-social behaviors. And then there's also the great um, piece about independence. So, um, you know, being able to walk the dog independently is always the goal. Um, But sometimes that's not possible and the parents, you know, remain the key handler all the way through. And that's perfectly fine too. But there's other ways that we integrate the dog into the child's life. And it may be with, you know, them being involved in the grooming, the feeding routine during the day too is really big. So we have the kids involved in that with parent supervising. So um, there's a lot of great things that happen between the connection between the dog and the child. Well, I'm huge about... um um pets of any kind and the ability that they can have you, you don't have to have any kind of a disorder you don't have to be struggling with a mental illness everybody in the world yeah can pat now there are a lot of people who don't like dogs they don't l- like animals so that's fine but right. for <laughs> most people when you can pat the animal you get this this sensation back right like generally sure. dogs love you unconditionally horses that are absolutely massive love you and look at you with these uh, big eyes yes the service dog is for for the child and living within a family and i think that part about really really interesting that the dog can actually bring the family together because everybody can go out together but really when it comes down to it that dog is trained to bond with that one child and is not a family dog Right. It is like when, when we're talking about service dogs, um, it is a little bit different than a dog that assists an individual and that an individual is the handler and the only handler. So a guide dog for someone who has a visual impairment, of course, they're going to develop a really unique bond and that dog's going to respond to that handler and that handler only when we're working with kids and families and different dynamics, like the dog may go to school and maybe there's an EA or a teacher that has to assist with the handling there becomes, you know, different layers. So a parent may be the handler, maybe the other, if there's two parents in the household, they may have that other parent handle the dog as well. So it is a very unique situation um, with its own set of challenges, but it also is really, it does really work in bringing people together. It's amazing how um, these dogs can function and work you know, for an individual through someone else, like a parent or a teacher or EA. Um, and I think too, when we're looking at 
forming a bond. Sometimes that bond isn't your typical bond that you and I may think about when we think of that loving, like reciprocal relationship. Um, when we think of the human animal connection and bond, it may look a little different. Like I know um, we have one young girl who has a service dog and the dog doesn't go to school with her, but every day she comes home, she has the biggest smile on her face when she sees him at the door waiting for her when she gets off the bus. But she may not go snuggle with him all night on the couch or involve herself too much with him. But they go out grocery shopping every Saturday. Her and her dad before the pandemic would go out every Saturday and do their grocery shopping trip together. They would stay together. Dad loved it because he used to bring her grocery shopping and she would wander all over the store. And he'd kind of it would take like triple the time to get the regular grocery trip done with her wandering around and picking up different things off the shelves. Now she stays with her dog and her dad and they're able to like stay on task and she seems to really enjoy it. Um, but she would never be able to really like explain or tell you, um, how she feels about her dog, but it, to her dad, it's like, you know, he can tell right. it's, he does. She well, does yeah. I mean, and there's, there, there's that you don't need to tell people that you have a bond Right. With your dog, can you tell I own dogs? Um, <laughs> uh, and I know um, the the mom that I was talking to, uh, her son was nonverbal, and she said, you know, when yes. he was younger, they'd go somewhere, and he would just scream, and he would just get this high pitched scream, and he wouldn't stop. And when he was, you know, really little, parents are sort of saying, "Oh, how poor mom," you know. Yeah. And then as he got older and older, people started staring at her and just thinking. Yes. Your child is just very poorly disciplined. Yes, yes. And uh, in a way, that having the service dog identifies that, like you know, here's a child who, and they, I'm not talking about you know have to be six years old. I think you do uh, up right. to eighteen years old. Um, so here's a child who needs help, and that is why the dog is yes. there. And she yeah. said it. She said it that took a big relief and a big pressure off of her when she was going out with, with her son. And I think it's amazing how it does affect parents. Like it affects more than just the child, right? Like you're saying that relief that mom felt by having this dog and people recognizing, Oh, you know, that boy looks very typical on the outside, but why is he misbehaving? Well, he's not misbehaving. He has autism, but maybe they wouldn't know that. And they're not going to ask, or maybe they're going to say really, hurtful things. And now there's a dog there connected and it kind of, it does relieve that pressure and that judgment, right. That people are going to see that team working together and, and it's, a and you know, it, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think in general, we're all learning a lot more about autism, um, about the spectrum and, yes. uh, and which is always a, a good thing. And there's a, a lot of stigma attached to, um, to uh, autism spectrum disorder because people just don't understand it, right? right? Now, again, if I go back to the family, how is it, say, let's say there are other kids, right? And they want a dog. Mm-hmm. And here's this dog who is really specifically for their, their sibling, their brother or their sister, and it's not their dog. I know it can be so tricky, right? Especially if you have like a child in the family who is absolutely loves dogs. It's easy when the kids are like, oh, I don't mind. I have a cat or I have a hamster and that fills that need. But if it's a dog lover, it can be really hard. So we try to really, you know, help the whole family in 
this transition, especially when the dogs first joins the family, because it's new. And of course it's a big learning process for everybody. We do workshops in advance of pairing the dog and child together, where we talk about the sibling relationship and what that looks like. We also talk about parents and what their role looks like, because they also need to have a connection with the dog because they're the handler. So the dog needs to get that pat or that treat or that good boy, good girl, like that praise is really important for the parent handler to have a really good, strong bond too. Some parents are like, but I feel like the dog is so much more bonded to me than my child. I'm like, that's okay. Especially when you're first starting out. Yeah. We want to make sure. Right. But with other siblings and other family members, it is a little bit tricky. So we do give parents suggestions on how they can involve their kids in an indirect way with helping assist with the dog. So that may mean when they're first learning, um, and need to practice that hookup with the belt connected to the dog, that their other child can play that role and follow instructions and parents can practice. Um, they may not have get to have that cuddle on the couch really, but, um, they get to be involved with the dog and helping in some way. They may also help their sibling in their play activities with the dog. So if the child with autism is doing like a fetching game outside, they may help assist with getting that ball from the dog, but then passing it over to the brother or sister for them to toss it. So, yeah. Yeah. So actually it can create a stronger bond between the siblings. I think so. Yeah. In some cases. Yeah, for sure. Um, Like involving and getting creative in how can we involve the whole family in this, right? It, it does assist the child, but there can be other ways of incorporating everyone into it Um, without the dog. You know, of course the dogs are going to be really interested in everyone in the family, but um, the feeding routine and having the kids with autism involved in that often really helps with that bonding piece. So our dogs are really food motivated. So whoever feeds them, they're pretty happy to stick near. And yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I'm okay. Let's talk about the breeds. Um, Labradors, we see those all over the place. They seem to be the natural service dog. So I have standard poodles. I've had standard poodles since 1985. I'm I'm interested in, I'm, I'm just, I'm just curious about that. Right. I think, um, so Labrador and Golden Retrievers, I think Labradors, yeah, all across the world, right, are like the number one kind of choice for working um, service guide and guide and things like that. They're just such a solid breed. They have got that nice, um, stable temperament. It really yeah. depends on their genetic background and their breeding and everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There'd be yeah. a lot that goes into it. Just because yeah. you're a Labrador doesn't mean you're a great um, right. service dog. <laughs> and then I guess some of them are, are would be, you know, and say, well, this isn't a very good guide dog, but they make right. a really great autism dog. For sure. Uh, how does somebody contact you and apply for a program and move through the process to get a dog? And um, is there a waiting list to do it? How do people How do people do it? So we do have a very long waiting list currently. So I always encourage people, I get inquiries all the time. Um, But because we have such a long waiting list, we're trying to support and move those people through the list as quickly as we can before we would accept any new applicants. So I encourage people to check our website. It's autismdogservices.ca. And if you check that frequently, um, you know, you might want to check it once a month or something. If you're a family that's interested in pursuing something like this, just to s- see where we're at with our waiting list. 
um, our companion dog program. That's our pet dog adoption program for people with special needs. That's open, but it is a pet dog adoption. So there is an adoption fee involved and you can read about that on our website as well. We are always looking for volunteers. Um, we would be more Hamilton, Brantford, Kitchener, Waterloo, Cambridge, Guelph would be our volunteer base, London, maybe even part of our program. And then we also have release dogs too, that don't make it, that right. would be qualified for anything. And they would make a, a good pet.